We live in a very questioning society, don't we? And maybe it's just because of the sheer access to, to answers that we have, but we question just about everything. I mean, your friend tells you a fun fact, and you run and Google it right away, right? And, and I can't complain too much, because I'm a, a very questioning person myself. I'm pretty sure I was the epitome of that kid who asks why about absolutely everything. And as annoying as I'm sure that probably was, asking questions is a really good thing, right? We learn so much by asking questions. There's a, there's a reason that teachers will so often tell their students there's no such thing as a dumb question, even though they know so well that that's not true. <laughs> but really, there's nothing wrong with asking questions, right? We should ask questions. And even when it comes to God's Word, we, we should want to learn more. We should want to dig deeper. And yet there is a line, isn't there? There's a, a very fine line, and probably one that all of us have teetered over a time or two, the, the very fine line between asking questions about God and questioning God. Now there's been an awful lot written and said about what the first sin really was. I don't have a ton of interest in trying to figure that out this morning, but I do think that it fell somewhere in the category of, of doubt and disbelief and questioning. And that questioning really got started with the devil asking a question of his own. He said, did God really say? Did God really say that you can't eat from any of these trees in this garden that he made for you? And that's what gets the ball rolling. And Eve starts off really strong, right? She says, no, no, God said we can eat from any of these trees in this garden. He just said, we can't eat from one. And he said, if we eat from that one tree, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then we will die. And that's when that serpent, the devil, the father of all lies, he does what he does best. And he whispers something in Eve's ear that has just enough of a ring of truth to it that it makes Eve give it some thought. He says, you will not surely die. And I, I almost picture him saying that with a, a little bit of a, a smug laugh or a mocking laugh. You know, I don't know if people say it here, but where I'm from, people will say, well, bless your heart. And that sounds like a really... That sounds like a really nice thing, until you realize that it isn't, right? Until you realize that that's really saying, you poor thing, you know, you, you poor thing, you just don't know any better. And so the devil whispers that lie into Eve's ear, and she thinks about it. And I want you to maybe put yourself in Eve's shoes and think, what would you have done? Would you have immediately acted like Jesus in that situation? Would you have said, no, that's not true at all. God is good. That's a lie. Get away from me, Satan. I'd smash you, Would you? <laughs> that would be like Jesus. Or would you maybe say, huh, maybe I am just naive. Maybe, maybe God is just pulling one over on me. 
And that's all it took, right? That's all it took for creation to start questioning its creator. You know, is God really, is God really good? Is God really loving? Or is he just trying to control me? Does God really want what's best for me? Or does he just want to be in charge? I mean, if God really loves me, shouldn't he just tell me to do whatever it is that makes me the most happy? And we don't know if that's what was going through Adam and Eve's minds, but we would definitely understand if it was, right? Because aren't those the same exact questions that get thrown at God from our world? And aren't those the same exact questions that we sometimes wonder in our own hearts? We say, God, if you, if you really love me, shouldn't you just tell me do whatever it is that makes me happy? And yet those are the exact questions that the devil wants us to be asking. Because if we decide that maybe God isn't really loving, or maybe he, just, he does just want to control what I do, or worst of all, if we decide that God is lying to us, well then the devil wins, right? Because then we're going to decide, I'm going to find happiness and meaning in my own life based on my own standard of right and wrong. And then we'll be walking cheerfully down that wide road that leads straight to hell. Like I said, it's a very fine line. Now in no way does God want us to just, just shut our mouths and stop asking questions, right? That is not at all what we're saying. God wants us to ask questions and, and dig deeper into his word. But this morning, our goal is not to answer every question that we have about God's word, and not, not even to answer every question maybe that we might have about this account from Genesis. But our goal this morning is to be rooted in the source of all of those answers. If we just let our minds spin and spin and and think about what we think the world should be like and listen to the human voices around us, well, how, how long does it take before we start questioning God just like Adam and Eve? I mean, if we decide that God needs to line up perfectly with our own sense of what we think is good and what we think life should be like and our logic and our, our imagination of, of morality, well, we're going to be upset with God pretty quickly. Because God tells us straight up, he says, my ways are not like your ways. My thoughts are not like your thoughts. So we need to constantly plant our roots in God's word and constantly dive into what the Bible says. Because yes, we are a questioning people and we live in a questioning world. And yet when we open up our Bibles, God reminds us that he is also a question in God. And God's question that he had for Adam and Eve was this. He just said, where are you? And I'm curious how you hear that question. What is the tone of voice that you imagine God speaking that question in? I think the way we hear that question is, is colored by the way we think about God. I don't know if you saw it, there was actually a Super Bowl commercial this year about Adam and Eve. It actually might have been one of, the, one of the better ones, but it was an ad for avocados from Mexico, and it was set in the Garden of Eden, and the first couple seconds of the ad are this beautiful, peaceful, serene Garden of Eden, 
And yet you know right when Eve eats the fruit, even though it's not on the screen because the, the sky turns dark and storm clouds roll in and you hear thunder. And honestly, that makes for pretty good TV. <laughs> and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, the Bible says Adam and Eve instantly went into hiding. Well, they're scared, so what are they scared of? An angry God, that makes a lot of sense. And yet, I don't know if that's what I see in God's word. I think we see that Adam and Eve instantly realized the shred of truth to Satan's lies. Right? Their eyes were opened. They now saw so much more than the, the perfect creation that God had made for them. Now they saw a world full of ways to satisfy these new sinful desires that they had in their hearts. And they, they covered themselves. Why? Because they were no longer just focused on serving each other and, and on serving God. Now, now their focus was inward, right? Now it's what do I look like? And now it's I need to cover up this newfound sense of shame that I have. And so that's the condition in which God found his lost children. And now maybe one of the questions that, that gets thrown at God often, and maybe one that we've even wondered ourselves is, okay, so God would really send someone to hell just for one sin? I've had someone angrily ask me that before, and that was their reason why they would never believe in God. And I suppose it's a fair question, and yet at the same time, it's not. At the same time, we see that it's such a misleading question, and we see that right here in this account. Because from the moment that Adam and Eve come forward to face God, what do they do? Nothing but point fingers and make excuses. They blame each other, they blame the devil, and yes, they even blame God. Adam says, God, it's because of the woman that you put here with me, with the implication being very clear. If God, if you would have just let me be, I was plenty happy. None of this would have ever happened. God was not dealing with otherwise perfect people who had just messed up one time. Because now God was dealing with people who were completely corrupted by sin from head to toe. Just like we are. We see here really how sin works, don't we? That it's, it compounds and multiplies on itself. You know, maybe one bad decision turns into a lie to try to cover that up, and that turns into anger when somebody points out the truth, and that turns into fighting and jealousy and hatred, and that can all just be in one day's work for sinners like us, can't it? We are completely and totally corrupted by sin. And yet God promised to do something about that. We, we sometimes refer to that last verse that we read from Genesis as the first gospel promise. And maybe it's hard to catch that because you don't hear the name of Jesus thrown in there at all. And yet what did God promise to do? He said, I am going to put enmity between human beings and sin and human beings and Satan. And enmity probably is a word that we only use to talk about this specific account from God's word. And yet you see the word enemy in there. And so you see that that is such a perfect word because sin 
makes us God's enemies. So God saw the problem here, and he decided to cut the problem out at the source, and yet in his grace, the problem that God saw was not human beings. It was not Adam and Eve, but the problem that God decided to cut out was sin. He promised to send one who would crush sin and Satan and who would allow himself to be crushed in the process. During Lent, we focus in on the price that Jesus paid to, to cover our sins. And to keep God's promise to Adam and Eve, Jesus, he allowed himself to be crushed, didn't he? He allowed himself to be crushed for our sins and for our iniquities. And yet it's by his wounds that we are healed. And so, let's go back to that question from God. I think so many people, unfortunately, hear that as an angry, where are you, from a furious ruler who just can't wait to dish out punishment on his subjects. And yet, God knows all things. God has all power. God is all places at all times. If all, if all God wanted to do was to dish out punishment to Adam and Eve, wouldn't he have just done it right there on the spot? If all God cared about was bringing down the hammer of his wrath, he would have done it, right? God didn't need to ask, where are you? Of course, he knew that already. So why did he? God wanted to remind Adam and Eve of what they had always known, and yet what they had just so recently forgotten, that he is the God of free and faithful grace. That he is a God that we can approach and a God that we can talk to. And he is a God who seeks and searches for sinners. And so God asked, where are you? Not, not so that he could find them, but so that Adam and Eve could find their way back to him. Now, of all the questions that we, we tend to ask about God, maybe one of the biggest ones and one of the most common ones that I've heard at least and that I've wondered myself is this. Why does God so often seem more kind and, and caring and patient and loving in the New Testament than he does in the Old? And that's a, that's a big question. That could probably be a, a Bible study all on its own, and maybe, maybe it should be sometime. But just, just as one example this morning, I want you all to think of a time in the Bible where you say, okay, this is a perfect example of God's undeserved, unfailing, forgiving love, right? This, this right here, this part of the Bible, give me more of that, because that's what God's love is all about. I would guess that at least some of you are thinking about Jesus' story of the lost son and the prodigal son. Or at least that's, that's one of my absolute favorites. Because Jesus describes God as this loving father who's he's out on the porch waiting, right? He, he's waiting for his rebellious son to maybe someday come home. And when he sees him at a distance, he runs out, he gives him a hug, he forgives him. He doesn't even let his son get the words out to apologize for what he's done. He's already forgiven him. And we hear that, that story, that parable, and... 
we're reminded that God's forgiveness is for us and it is reliable and that when God says he has separated our sins as far as the east is from the west, that he, he will remember our sins no more, that he means those things. And so let me just ask you this morning, is that not exactly what God did for Adam and Eve? Right? They had, they had taken what God had given them and they had thrown it away. They had dis, disrespected God's creation. They had disregarded his warnings. And yet, he came out to find them. He loved them anyway. Now, were there consequences for what they had done? Yeah, absolutely there were. Because of, because of sin, this world is full of struggles and, and pain and hardships. And because of their sin, Adam and Eve are not walking on this earth anymore, right? And yet because of God's love, because he is that loving father that Jesus describes to us, Adam and Eve are living in God's new creation. That new garden of Eden that God has prepared for all of us. That, that paradise where sin will no longer have any hold on us. And the doors to that paradise are wide open to you because of what Jesus has done. And so please do not let your takeaway from this sermon be to stop asking questions, right? Please do not stop asking your questions about God. I don't know whether God would echo that, that teacher trope of no dumb questions, but I do know this. God cannot just be figured out in one sitting, in one afternoon. God is, is big, right? God is profound, and he is complex. And when we, when we shake our heads and, and are confused about things that he says in his word, aren't we really just proving that what he says is so true, that his ways and his knowledge are so much higher than ours, and, and his, his ways are unsearchable to human beings? God did not just give us a book about him as big as the Bible to make it hard for us to find the right page. He gave it to us so that we can ask our questions and we can dive deeper into his word and study these things that maybe are up here, right? And yet the things that we absolutely need to know about God, he spells out for us so plainly. The love of God that is so wide and long and high and deep, God, make sure we can understand that fully. He tells us to look at the cross of Jesus, to know that all of our sins are hanging right there. From Adam and Eve's doubt and disbelief to our own moments of doubt, everything that makes us God's enemies, it's all right there on Jesus. And the fact that you know that means that just as God was anxiously searching for his lost children, Adam and Eve, and anxiously called out like a parent who's missing his child, where are you? Well, God also called out to you in that same way and put faith in your heart, in your Savior, Jesus, the one who was crushed for all of our sins. And so as we continue our, our never-ending search for answers from God's word, may that always be where we start. 
at the cross of Jesus. Because of all of our questions about God, the biggest and the most important one is how do we get to heaven? And God says the answer to that one, well, it's a one-word answer. Jesus. Amen. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. We'll continue with our confession of faith, the Nicene Creed. We join together. We believe in one God, the Father of the Almighty, 